Thank you for tuning in to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort and hope. Down some pointless road 
my praise Expressed with all my heart Offered to a friend Who took my place And ran a course I could not start And when he saw in who just how much his love would cost He still went the final mile Between me and heaven So I would not be lost Were it not for grace Oh, the land. 
Songs of Praise endeavours to draw your heart, mind and soul to a close relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ.
you, Lord, for being here in our presence today. We give our hearts, our love, and our hands we raise to magnify, to glorify your holy name. We want to thank you for being here today. I just want to praise you
If you're enjoying this music, encourage your friends to listen to this program each week.
Let me rest beneath 
your family and friends to also enjoy songs of praise. Okay. 
fain would take and cheer me, cheer me. He is the comforter and power, the protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he So he could win a bride free. 
We here at 3ABN Australia Radio are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. 
The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, The Lord's Vineyard. God desired to bring all peoples under his merciful rule. He desired that the earth should be filled with joy and peace. He created man for happiness, and he longs to fill human hearts with the peace of heaven. He desires that the families below shall be a symbol of the great family above. But Israel did not fulfill this purpose. The Lord declared, I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the generate plant of a strange vine unto me? Jeremiah 2 verse 21. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. Hosea 10 verse 1. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. For he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. Isaiah 5, verses 3 to 7. The Lord had, through Moses, set before his people the result of unfaithfulness. By refusing to keep his covenant, they would cut themselves off from the life of God, and his blessing could not come upon them. Beware, said Moses, that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth." And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 8 verses 11 to 14, and verses 17, 19, and 20. The warning was not heeded by the Jewish people. They forgot God and lost sight of their high privilege as his representatives. The blessings they had received brought no blessing to the world. All their advantages were appropriated for their own glorification. They robbed God of the service he required of them, and they robbed their fellow men of religious guidance and a holy example. Like the inhabitants of the antediluvian world, they followed out every imagination of their evil hearts. Thus they made sacred things appear afar, saying, The temple of the Lord, 
the temple of the Lord are these, Jeremiah 7 verse 4, while at the same time they were misrepresenting God's character, dishonoring his name, and polluting his sanctuary. The husbandmen, who had been placed in charge of the Lord's vineyard, were untrue to their trust. The priests and teachers were not faithful instructors of the people. They did not keep before them the goodness and mercy of God and his claim to their love and service. These husbandmen sought their own glory. They desired to appropriate the fruits of the vineyard. It was their study to attract attention and homage to themselves. The guilt of these leaders in Israel was not like the guilt of the ordinary sinner. These men stood under the most solemn obligation to God. They had pledged themselves to teach a thus saith the Lord and to bring strict obedience into their practical life. Instead of doing this, they were perverting the scriptures. They laid heavy burdens upon men, enforcing ceremonies that reached to every step in life. The people lived in continual unrest, for they could not fulfill the requirements laid down by the rabbis. As they saw the impossibility of keeping man-made commandments, they became careless in regard to the commandments of God. The Lord had instructed his people that he was the owner of the vineyard, and that all their possessions were given them in trust to be used for him. But the priests and teachers did not perform the work of their sacred office as if they were handling the property of God. They were systematically robbing him of the means and facilities entrusted to them for the advancement of his work. Their covetousness and greed caused them to be despised even by the heathen. Thus the Gentile world was given occasion to misinterpret the character of God and the laws of his kingdom. With the Father's heart, God bore with his people. He pleaded with them by mercies given and mercies withdrawn. Patiently he set their sins before them, and in forbearance waited for their acknowledgement. Prophets and messengers were sent to urge God's claim upon the husbandmen. But instead of being welcomed, they were treated as enemies. The husbandmen persecuted and killed them. God sent still other messengers, but they received the same treatment as the first, only that the husbandmen showed still more determined hatred. As a last resource, God sent his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But their resistance had made them vindictive, and they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. We shall then be left to enjoy the vineyard, and to do as we please with the fruit. The Jewish rulers did not love God. Therefore they cut themselves away from him, and rejected all his overtures for a just settlement. Christ, the beloved of God, came to assert the claims of the owner of the vineyard, but the husbandmen treated him with marked contempt, saying, We will not have this man to rule over us. They envied Christ's beauty of character. His manner of teaching was far superior to theirs, and they dreaded his success. He remonstrated with them, unveiling their hypocrisy, and showing them the sure results of their course of action. This stirred them to madness. They smarted under the rebukes they could not silence. They hated the high standard of righteousness which Christ continually presented. They saw that his teaching was placing them 
where their selfishness would be uncloaked, and they determined to kill him. They hated his example of truthfulness and piety and the elevated spirituality revealed in all he did. His whole life was a reproof to their selfishness, and when the final test came, the test which meant obedience unto eternal life or disobedience unto eternal death, they rejected the Holy One of Israel. When they were asked to choose between Christ and Barabbas, they cried out, Release unto us Barabbas, Luke 23, verse 18. And when Pilate asked, What shall I do then with Jesus? They cried fiercely, Let him be crucified, Matthew 27, verse 22. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. And from the priests and rulers came the answer, We have no king but Caesar, John 19, verse 15. When Pilate washed his hands, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, the priest joined with the ignorant mob in declaring passionately, His blood be on us and on our children, Matthew 27, verses 24 and 25. Thus, the Jewish leaders made their choice. Their decision was registered in the book, which John saw in the hand of him that sat upon the throne, the book which no man could open. In all its vindictiveness, this decision will appear before them in the day when this book is unsealed by the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Jewish people cherished the idea that they were the favorites of heaven and that they were always to be exalted as the church of God. They were the children of Abraham, they declared, and so firm did the foundation of their prosperity seem to them that they defied earth and heaven to dispossess them of their rights. But by lives of unfaithfulness, they were preparing for the condemnation of heaven and for separation from God. In the parable of the vineyard, after Christ had portrayed before the priests their crowning act of wickedness, he put to them the question, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? The priests have been following the narrative with deep interest, and without considering the relation of the subject to themselves, they join with the people in answering, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their seasons. Unwittingly, they had pronounced their own doom. Jesus looked upon them, and under his searching gaze they knew that he read the secrets of their hearts. His divinity flashed out before them with unmistakable power. They saw in the husbandmen a picture of themselves, and they involuntarily exclaimed, God forbid. Solemnly and regretfully Christ asked, Did you never read in the Scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Christ would have averted the doom of the Jewish nation if the people had received him. But envy and jealousy made them implacable. They determined that they would not receive Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, they rejected the light of the world, and thenceforth their lives were surrounded with darkness as the darkness of midnight. 
the doom foretold came upon the Jewish nation. Their own passions, uncontrolled, wrought their ruin. In their blind rage they destroyed one another. Their rebellious, stubborn pride brought upon them the wrath of their Roman conquerors. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple laid in ruins, and its site ploughed like a field. The children of Judah perished by the most horrible forms of death. Millions were sold to serve as bondmen in heathen lands. As a people, the Jews had failed of fulfilling God's purpose, and the vineyard was taken from them. The privileges they had abused, the work they had slighted, was entrusted to others. The Church of Today The parable of the vineyard applies not alone to the Jewish nation. It has a lesson for us. The church in this generation has been endowed by God with great privileges and blessings, and he expects corresponding returns. We have been redeemed by a costly ransom. Only by the greatness of this ransom can we conceive of its results. On this earth, the earth whose soil has been moistened by the tears and blood of the Son of God, are to be brought forth the precious fruits of paradise. In the lives of God's people, the truths of his word are to reveal their glory and excellence. Through his people, Christ is to manifest his character and the principles of his kingdom. Satan seeks to counterwork the work of God, and he is constantly urging men to accept his principles. He represents the chosen people of God as a deluded people. He is an accuser of the brethren, and his accusing power is employed against those who work righteousness. The Lord desires through his people to answer Satan's charges by showing the results of obedience to right principles. These principles are to be manifest in the individual Christian, in the family, in the church, and in every institution established for God's service. All are to be symbols of what can be done for the world. They are to be types of the saving power of the truths of the gospel. All are agencies in the fulfillment of God's great purpose for the human race. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lynchjourney.com. Whilst John Knox was initially a reluctant preacher, once he accepted the call, he moved forward with unflinching determination and undaunted courage. It was said of him that he feared not the face of men. And while the fires of martyrs were burning all over Britain, they only served to intensify his zeal for the gospel. Ruling was Mary, Queen of Scots, and it was said that many a reformer wilted under pressure in front of her. However, that was not the case with John Knox. He stood before her and spoke without fear and answered boldly for his faith.
On one occasion, he was brought before her here at Holyrood Palace in Edinburgh, charged with heresy, as she said he instructed the people to keep a religion forbidden by the state. Thus she said he transgressed the command of God, requiring that subjects obey their princes. However, he was able to answer with strong and compelling reason, saying that right religion receives its original strength and authority, not from worldly princes, but from the eternal God alone. He went on to use some analogies from the past that strongly supported his argument. If all the seed of Abraham were the religion of Pharaoh, what religion would there have been in the earth? Or if in the days of the apostles, all men were the religion of the Roman emperors, then what religion would have been on the face of the earth? And so he said, you may perceive, madame, that subjects are not bound by the religion of their princes, albeit they are required to give them obedience. Mary responded, ye interpret the scriptures one way, and they, the Roman Catholic teachers, interpret another way. Whom shall I believe, and whom shall be the judge? Ye shall believe God that plainly speaketh in his word, and further than the word teaches, ye shall neither believe the one nor the other. The word of God is plain in itself, and if there appear any obscurity in one place, the Holy Ghost, which is never contrary to itself, explains the same more clearly in other places, so there can remain no doubt, except unto such as obstinately remain ignorant. John Knox pointed to the supremacy of the Bible and the internal consistency of the Bible in being able to answer the challenging questions that were put before him. It was answers such as these that illustrate just how bold he was, but it was not just his intellect that put fear into Mary, Queen of Scots, but also his prayer life. It was said by her, I feared the prayers of John Knox more than 10,000 men armed and ready for war. John Knox started his ministry carrying a two-handed sword following his teacher, George Wishart. But by the end of his ministry, he was more famous for his prayer life. Prayer is a gift that has been given to the believer, an opportunity to talk to God, to present our petitions and lay our burdens to Him. May we strike fear in the enemy's kingdom, not through might, but through a faithful prayer life, for it is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.